I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. The Detroit Lions took a ton of crap at draft time for the draft class that they selected in the first couple of days, but it was that draft class that took over on Monday Night Football, helped them to a win, got them to 6-2, and two, and put the Lions right back in the spotlight. We'll talk about that as well as all of the trade deadline news, rumors, and conjecture uh, over the course of the rest of the show. And in order to do that, we've got our friend Brad Spielberger on today to, to run through it. How's it going, Brad? Going great. Hoping for some, uh, some blockbusters in the next six hours. Hopefully, yeah. Let's, uh, let's see if we can get some uh, live breaking news. And you can do your Adam Schefter bit, right? Like live on the phone whilst this all, uh, while all this happens. Um, yeah, like I want to start talking about Monday Night Football, obviously. Um, a game that, so 26-14 to the Detroit Lions. And honestly, it shouldn't have been that close. Like, the only reason the Raiders have points is because the Lions kept turning the ball over and, like, letting them back into it. That was the most lopsided 26-14 football game I may have ever watched in my entire life. Uh, You know, I mean, credit to Marcus Peters. He's due for a nice pick six every once in a while off his old teammate (laughs) and Jared Goff. But, I mean, the fumble at the one-yard line was an insane call with Craig Reynolds. Like, it's interesting because I do think – there's probably a larger conversation, not that anyone wants to talk about refereeing, but you always hear the announcers say, oh, well, they should call it a turnover on the field yeah. because that way you force the automatic review. Yeah, you also anchor to we now need conclusive evidence this isn't a turnover. And the guy was literally horizontal on the ground. And you're telling me no shin or knee or hip or butt or elbow. Like, come on. Like, it was an insane <laughs> call, in my opinion. But anyway, the Lions still covered. I mean, one. Uh, so it was all good. It was all fine. But yeah, that, that was that was as lopsided as a game I think you've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I It's very easy to sort of make the point. I think a lot of times it's true where, you know, when you're in doubt, call it the turnover, call it the touchdown, let it run because you'll get to look at it uh, again anyway. But that's the downside to that, right? That's why it's not just this catch-all policy of always let it go, always call it the turnover, always call it the touchdown, because then you get into situations like this where even during like the analysis, they were framing this in a way of, we are trying to find the angle that proves that this is an idiotic call, which we all know it is. Like We know this call is wrong, but we need the angle to show it, and we can't find one because of all the bodies. Like That's how it was being discussed. That's how bad a call it was at the time. Exactly, exactly. So I do get it, but I, the, the fact I haven't just created a you know neutral party in a, in a building somewhere else with a bunch of cameras like the NHL and other leagues do is kind of insane. But anyway, mo- moving beyond that, uh, you know, you mentioned that the Lions draft class and how great they all were. I was kind of sitting there last night. Now that we have a fully healthy Tracy Walker, Brian Branch and Kirby Joseph. And just thinking if you also had a fully healthy Chauncey Gardner Johnson, you would have four just wrecking balls in that secondary that can move around, play in the slot, play deep, do a bunch of different things. Um, but yeah, 
that, that draft class is looking really, really good. You know, Jack Campbell's uh, pass interference was tough. Kind of got tripped when he fell into Garoppolo in the end zone, but he made a couple one, splash yeah. plays too. But of course, I mean, Laporta and Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs had 11 missed tackles forced yesterday, and I was expecting a number in that range last night, so I'm glad it's reflected. But he was awesome as a runner. All the narratives, he can't run between the tackles. And you did see him miss some holes early on the first month of the year. His first touchdown last night was a beautiful read to go into the hole on his left, be patient, and then cut out to his right. He was exceptional. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about those guys in just a second. But first, we got to talk about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. Um, yeah, Jameer Gibbs, breakout game from him. Uh, insane production, 26 carries, another five catches. Uh, what was that, like 190-something yards from scrimmage. Had the touchdown as well. And the thing that stood out to me was not, you know, hey, Jameer Gibbs, this guy that was drafted really high and they took a lot of crap for it, making plays. It was... They stopped the pretense of, like, let's make him into this offensive weapon, creative, line him up in weird places. Just put him at running back and give him a full workload, and it works. Like, this is the thing with these guys that are insanely fast, insanely dynamic, athletic, all those things. Just put them at the position and let them have the ball. Yeah, and, like, he took a couple crunches in that game, too. And, like, even in the SEC last year, again, you don't want him to get pounded the entire game. I get he's 198 pounds, whatever. But he's not like some guy we haven't seen bounce off contact, including a bunch last night. And, look, he is a great receiver. He can run routes. He's smooth, all those things. But Alabama also... He was a good he was a good runner. Like I talked about his patience and letting blocks set up and things like that. And and frankly, that was behind a bunch of backup interior offensive linemen in Detroit last night. But we saw all this. He was capable of doing that, maybe not every single week, but he is more than capable of handling this workload. And, and he proved that last night, no question. Yeah. And look, I'm again I'm all for the idea of spelling him or not, you know, like this was a fairly intense workout for any running back uh in the NFL, a huge amount of uh ball carried on his shoulders. So I'm fine with scaling that back. And when David Montgomery's back, there's a much more natural uh, sharing of the workload. But I think this game showed you that you don't need to overthink this, right? You can just give these guys the ball. And if you're athletic and uh, dynamic the way Gibbs is, you find space running the ball. Like you find space by making a cut through the line and your vision taking you to the backside where all you have to do is beat a DB for a touchdown. You don't need to spend your life like creating plays to get these guys the ball in space. Their speed, athleticism, explosion is what finds the space for them. Like, just give them the ball as a running back. 
Yeah, the, the explosiveness, and again, there is obviously context here. You're bringing in David Montgomery on a lot of third and shorts and second and shorts and goal line carries and all of that. But, I mean, Jameer Gibbs had, I think, 12 carries that went more than five yards last night. Uh, David Montgomery has 20 of those on the entire season on a larger workload. And again, like I said, it's not, not really a fair way to look at it just that. But his ability to not just you know stay out of the chains and get three yards in a cloud of dust, but actually to break off, I mean, he probably had six or seven, 10-plus yard carries last night as well. Like, it, it, it changed the entire dynamic of, look, they kept not being able to score early on, a bunch of field goals, drive stalling out, um, and, and they really ran the football a ton last night. I mean, yeah. Ben Johnson, took in that first scripted drive, was just like, they probably ran 10 times. But, like, that is the thing where, again, when you go back to contra, or, uh, when draft value and positional value and all of that, and I guess Brees Hall, a good example, not to pick on the guy, but, like, in, in, in not a Najee Harris, where you have, you know, ETN and those guys, the one difference maker, besides being a pass catcher and a pass protector, but also, you can turn a, a five-yard play into a 40-yard play, that, 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 that wins you football games, and, and you need that element if you are going to use a pick that early, and Gibbs certainly has that ability in space. Um, so on top of what Gibbs did, we had another big game by Sam Laporta, led the team in targets, led the team in receptions, had 57 yards and a touchdown himself. Sam Laporta looks like one of the best rookies uh, in the entire NFL as well. I mean, this Detroit Lions draft, okay, you can quibble about where they drafted these guys, but Jameer Gibbs just showed what talent he has. Sam Laporta has been showing it all season long. Brian Branch has been showing it all season long on the defensive side. And then, you know, Jack Campbell is, is getting playing time. I don't know if he's been at the same level as the other guys. That was a rough, uh, roughing the passer by him. But this group is contributing an insane degree to the team right now. They really are. I mean, Laporta, for a rookie tight end, it's remarkable every single week. I do think it's interesting. I saw a couple tweets about it last night, and I was kind of thinking it too. It's becoming a bit of a tell when he's on the field and off the field. If he's on the field, they're probably passing the ball. And if it's Brock Wright or somebody else, James Mitchell, whoever they have still, um, they're probably running the ball. So they, they might need to work on that a little bit. I think he is a capable blocker, even if he probably is the number three guy in that lineup. But, but yeah, I mean, he also, like, for a rookie tight end who has the explosive ability, can can break away from defenders, can erase pursuit angles on some of those carries, uh, and obviously, you know, great catch over the middle for the touchdown. You know, you know, option route, choice route, whatever, uh, bounces back inside and basically walks in untouched. But yeah, I mean, he's he's incredible for, for a rookie tight end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that group from the the Lions has been pretty spectacular uh, overall. Like turnovers were the only thing that made this game close. I mean, Detroit were moving the ball at will. Uh, the Raiders couldn't get much done and then got even less done as the game progressed and they needed to chase it a little bit. And the only thing keeping it close was was those turnovers. Like the, the pick six was an ugly play. I don't know if Goff didn't see uh, the corner there or simply saw it but couldn't get the ball where he needed to get it or wanted to get it, I probably throwing it away or just getting it to the outside of uh, Amonris and Brown. Um, but... This game shouldn't have even been close. I mean, like yardage-wise, it was I don't know, like 600 yards, about 150 yards, I think, something like yeah, that. Maybe 157, to 100. 157 total net yards was what the Raiders had. The Lions had almost 500. 
Yeah, and I think the Raiders probably got like 40 of that on a bunch of garbage time drives at the end there. But not even turnovers, too, but like he had that miss to Khalif Raymond over the middle where he threw it behind him. Yeah. And if you looked at the, the broadcast angle, at least, Raymond, if not scoring, he's getting you in a goal-to-go situation there. There was no one in front of him, and we know how fast Khalif Raymond can be. So they, they just missed a couple things, got to clean it up. It was definitely not one of Goff's best performances by any stretch. They get a miss to uh, Josh Reynolds down the right sideline for probably another chunk gain as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was... It was as dominant as you'd like it to be. I, I do want to see this defense, which obviously you know was incredible last night. Ali McNeil, talk about more and more recent draft picks, two sacks, four pressures on 17 pass rush snaps, and was a consistent presence. I want to see them do this against a good offense. A good, you know, obviously Baltimore went buck wild on them last week, but but they are starting to continue to kind of stack these games against inferior opponents. And that next step should come where they can also do it against the better offenses in the league. Right. It is an important step for them. Um, I don't, yeah. They, in addition to the turnovers, they, as you say, left plays on the table as well between a couple of off target throws. There was um, Amonris and Brown looking, doing his best Justin Fields impersonation and passing up a wide open dude in the, in the end zone and just sort of, taking a busted play rather than – I have literally no idea why he didn't throw the ball. I mean, it was, it was a play that at the time looked like it was designed to, for him to throw it, and he decided not to, tucked it down. And when that happens, you assume like it was covered, right? The, the guy that he wanted to throw the ball to was taken away, and he, he ate the, the play, which is the smart thing to do if that's the case. And then when they show the, the wide angle, it wasn't at all. Like the guy that he wanted to go to the ball with – had sort of gone out to th- to pretend blocking, fake blocking, and then just slipped behind everybody into the end zone on his own and is like waiting for the ball and Amon St. Brown for some reason chooses not to throw it and the play's dead. But that's a easy touchdown that, that they left on the table. I think it was Cleef Raymond, and he probably had 10 yards of separation in both directions. Like there was a, I think there was a DB in the corner of the end zone, and there was a DB probably, you know, three-fourths of the way the other direction, and he was standing right there. Yeah, like Amon Ra probably, I don't know, doesn't trust his arm strength, things like that. I, like you, you want to understand why a guy wouldn't do it, but I'm not even sure the DB that was closest was even breaking on the ball. I think he right. was looking the other direction too. Like it was, it was as wide open as a guy is ever going to be in the end zone. That was a plus two from Ben Johnson, you know, and, and probably a minus whatever for, for Amon Ra. Yeah, it's amazing. I've got it. Um, I have, I tweeted the still image of, yeah, Khalif Raymond standing there in the end zone or on his way into the end zone with his hands out wide. Amonra with the ball about to throw it. Now, look, there's a few defenders heading in his direction, but it's like a dink over the top that is, what, 20 yards max that he needs to get that ball for it to be an easy touchdown. And he's got literally a circle of 10 yards of space in every direction for his intended receiver. Absolutely uh, play left on the table there. Let's go to the other team now. Um, and, and let's start with Devontae Adams, I think, because... Whew. Okay, he agitates his way out of Green Bay. He he goes to the Raiders, which is you know a team that he wants to play for, a quarterback that he wants to play for, his old college teammate and Derek Carr. That gets blown up. Derek Carr gets dumped out of there. Uh, now he's got Jimmy Garoppolo in year two of this Josh McDaniels uh, game plan, and nothing is functioning right now. Adams ends up with, what, seven targets, one catch for 11 yards, and... What must have been like 120 yards worth of plays just on the table because Jimmy G missed him. 
More than that. There was a 98-yard touchdown and right. probably like a 60-yard touchdown. The second one in particular, because on the first one, Jimmy did have pressure. He was in his own end zone, so yeah. you could kind of make an excuse for him, I, I suppose. I mean, the second one was just one of the worst throws you know, of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, literally would have been a walk-in 50-plus yarder for Devontae. That's when he you know, went to the sideline and slammed his helmet and, and questioned why he pushed his way to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, yeah, it was horrible. I mean, both, both times he was as wide open as a guy's going to be and we're talking about Devontae Adams here you know he's going to house that thing I mean I, I know he's coming off the back injury the ankle shot frankly the ankle knee shot from Jack Campbell I'm yeah. not sure I would have stood up stood up after that and so credit to him for that but I mean he was flat out atrocious last night he was yeah and he was under pressure a lot of it what is this 17 out of 28 drop banks under pressure that was a ton and it seemed to ramp up even more like as the game as they needed the passing game when the game uh, was getting later on, and Detroit, um, they needed to chase Detroit to get that win. That's when the Lions' defense just absolutely took over and started cooking, and Jimmy G didn't have much of a chance. Um, like you're saying, that first one, it, it's one of those plays where, yeah, there's pressure there, but you're throwing it knowing you're taking a hit. I mean, those are the plays that great quarterbacks make, right? It's it's not like it's easy. I mean, Troy Aikman was making that point on the broadcast. Like, it's hard, I get it, but... Those are the plays they pay us the money for, right? Guy steaming right towards you. You know you're taking a hit, but you also know you have an open receiver there. And if you hit him, that's how you punish that kind of aggression by a defense and back them off. And Jimmy G just couldn't make the play and then couldn't make the play later and, and basically couldn't make any plays. It really could not make any. There was one great snag for Michael Meyer over the middle. I don't remember another offensive highlight for, for the Raiders for the entire football game, really. But – yeah, the pressure, it was a lot. And obviously, when you're not pressured, you're feeling the pressure. You know that the Lions have some good players, particularly when the interior was getting beat up by McNeil, like I mentioned. They were chipping and doubling Aiden Hutchinson pretty much the entire game. I didn't check his stats, but I doubt he had a phenomenal, uh, you know, pressure outing. Obviously, Anzalone, uh, you know, blitzing up the A-gap. got home twice late in the game. But even when he did have time, I mean, he was just off, off target, inaccurate. He can't, he's not mobile at all. I mean... What a terrible signing, uh, you know. I, I mean, just every every decision the Raiders made this offseason, you got to scratch your head. Six sacks for Jimmy G on the day. I believe that ties a career high for him. I think he's been sacked six times, a few times in his career in a single game. Uh, he does have these games and always had in his career where they get they come in bunches. He gets sacked five, six times in a game, uh, and it comes around every now and again, and that's when it just breaks down, and that's what happened here. Um, I want to start moving off this game and start talking a little bit about um, trade deadline and all that kind of thing. And to start, I think we should move the Devonta Adams conversation on a little bit into those trade deadline discussions. Um, but first, we got to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Our guy Zach Tantillo ZT would like me to inform you that his Prize Picks for the weekend went three and one. So 75%, but not the full 100%. Uh, we'll have more prize picks uh, later in the week for you if you want to jump on board our picks or if you just want to make your own. What is prize picks? Well, it's a skill-based, real-money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they'll go for more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. 
Prize Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress, update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. At Prize Picks, you're not competing against other people, it's just you versus the projections. Prize Picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks offer frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers. You can even pick in game projections after a game has started, which includes halves, quarters, periods, and more. Go to prizepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. So obviously last night in the heat of the moment, Devontae Adams is regretting some life choices. Um, Is he regretting them enough that he is wanting the hell out the, out of there right now. And if that is the case, has he got any realistic, achievable hope of making that happen in the next, what, six hours? I guess the one thing he can take solace in is the Packers even have a worse record than Las Vegas. So maybe he should have just forced his way to a different team and, you know, didn't know his buddy, his college buddy Derek Carr was going to be gone a- after 15 games. So, no, he, he's not going to get moved at this year's deadline. Effectively, they would be paying him $45 million for 25 football games uh, and, and then moving on. They, they, the Raiders almost never give big signing bonuses. They always go flat deals, very small prorated money, and, and, and kind of go year by year with salaries. Of course, the one time they don't do that, they, they give a massive signing bonus to Devontae Adams. He'd have $31 million in total dead cap. It'll be about 7.8 this year, 23.5 million next year. Um, a, a gigantic number, but also just looking at the cash investment. Yeah, they probably get a first round pick still for him, you know, just like they give up what a one and a two. They would recoup a lot of the, a lot of that. But I, I mean the, the cash expenditure would be terrible. So I think this offseason, I think he's gonna force his way out. And he's gonna demand a trade and, and probably outright refuse to show up until he's on a new team. Man, that's pretty rough. Um it promised so much, right? The Devontae Adams move there, even with the idea of pairing him with Derek Carr again, and then the whole thing blew up pretty quickly. And, you know, not to sidetrack the trade kind of conversation, but the Josh McDaniels 2.0 experience is not going a whole lot better than Josh McDaniels 1.0. And interestingly, it seems to be failing at the same pressure points. Like, he's his one of his primary things in Denver is like, okay, I've got... Jay Cutler, Brandon Marshall, like I've got some pieces here that are, I mean, you know, debatable. They're not like clear-cut top five guys, but they're functional and they seem to have a connection. Immediately blows that up and goes in a different direction. And then again, same thing, like the Raiders, you've got Derek Carr. Okay, it's Derek Carr. It's not the, you know, it's not the best thing in the world, but like it works. And instead of let's see what I can do with Derek Carr, it's let's blow that up and ruin ship Derek Carr off, ruined Devontae Adams in the process, and, like, we're just watching history repeat itself. It is Derek Carr, but the thing that I come back to is, so, A, you cut him. So, unlike Jay Cutler, where they got a haul, you get literally nothing for right. Derek Carr because he's not even comp pick eligible. He was owed, like, $20 million, If I remember correctly, I think $21 million this season. And Carr is not a guy that I think would have, like, demanded an extension. I think he would have said, okay, fine, I'll play my contract year out. I'll, I'll probably be annoyed about it, but I'll do it. Instead, you guarantee, I think it's, like, $40 million, $35, 40000000 for Jimmy Garoppolo, who's, I think, all of his money next year is guaranteed, and I think he's 
a non-viable starter at this point in the NFL. You might as well just roll out Aiden O'Connell and see what you have there. So you pay more for a worse quarterback. And yes, I get Derek Carr is not exceptional. You get nothing in return for a starting level guy who signed a deal with $100 million in guaranteed. You, you have Josh Jacobs' comment last night was laugh out loud funny when he got asked, like, what does the offense need to do to improve? He said, I don't know. It's not my job. <laughs> like, you tag him for and give him a little bit of extra cash. He's having the worst year of his career. He doesn't want to be there either. I, I fell for it. I, people make fun of me on Twitter. One particular guy loves to bring it up every time I mention Josh McDaniels. I thought he was going to learn from his mistakes the first time and maybe get it right this time. I think it's been worse because all the personnel stuff, I think the whole locker room doesn't like him. He's also the worst game manager in the NFL. I think you saw the best game manager with time management, fourth downs, all that, versus the worst in the NFL last night. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if he gets fired for, for cash considerations, whatever, but um, it should be the last time he ever has a head coach job. That is for sure. It's funny. Steve pointed this out to me yesterday that, like, so obviously one of the stories of the Raiders this season is that the run game has just disappeared, and Josh Jacobs coming off that incredible year can't get anything going. Normally, when that happens, you assume the offensive line, the blocking, it's terrible. Like, that's the reason that the running back is evaporated. But the offensive line, the blockers are actually grading fine. So, collectively, you've got the running backs grading fine, the blocking is grading fine, and yet there's still no run game. And usually, when that kind of thing happens, and I'm, it's not, it's not going to be as simple as this, but in broad strokes terms, when, like, grading in big chunks doesn't match up with production in big chunks the difference is scheme right it's it's coaching it's it's that part of it and usually we talk about this in the other direction like why why aren't guys grading amazingly when the production is incredible it's because the coach is dialing stuff up right this is the shanahan effect or ben johnson or whatever it is but i think it works the opposite direction as well i think that's probably what we're seeing here that nobody's playing terribly and yet nothing's working because the scheme isn't functioning so the thing that he's supposed to be the best at, that thing, there's at least some evidence here to say even that isn't working. So personnel is failing, scheme is failing, everything is failing. Again, not great from a uh, Josh McDaniels point of view. Um, okay, that's Devontae Adams. Basically, as unfortunate as it is for him, he's stuck there and he's going to have to deal with it. Uh, let's go to Tennessee because it's another team that's being talked about as clearly in the selling market um the the kevin byer deal probably uh you know threw up the lights for that for everybody i would imagine they're listening to phone calls for pretty much anybody but is anyone going to get moved from tennessee so you know the derrick henry thing I, I don't think is going to happen we had the deadline yesterday for if you want to restructure a contract like we saw with leonard williams you have to do that the day prior for that to get processed so now you know with derrick henry owed six or so million dollars the rest of the year off the top of my head um it, you know i, I don't think it's going to happen DeAndre Hopkins does have a minimum salary, but I think in the same argument that you made about why Carolina and Bryce Young should want DeAndre Hopkins, it clearly applies to a guy who had three touchdown catches uh, from Will Levis. So I imagine he sticks as well. I think the one name I would probably keep an eye on, I guess, is Danico Autry. Great defensive lineman, has been exceptional the last couple of years for them. 50-60 pressure guy, you know, high pass rush win rate. You can move him around the defensive line, can play on the edge, can play at five tech, even, you know, kick inside a little bit. That's maybe the one name. He does have a, a bit of a larger salary as well, but not exorbitant. Uh, I think he's maybe the name to watch if they do make another move. Do you think that – so I agree with you that, you know, DeAndre – we talked about this on yesterday's show. Like, DeAndre Hopkins showed the value to a young quarterback, whether it's Carolina or now in Tennessee. 
um, for as long as that lasts. Do you think that Derrick Henry, that they view Derrick Henry in the same light, right? Because that's one of those sort of classic cliches is you want the strong run game, you want the good running back to help a young quarterback out. Do you think Tennessee is less likely to move um, Derrick Henry, even if the phone calls come in, now that they have Will Levis at quarterback, which, by the way, may only last like one more week until Tannehill comes back. Well, the, ignoring uh, they'd be insane to, to play Tannehill instead of Will Levis. Levis had four touchdown passes yesterday. Tannehill has two on the season. He hasn't thrown three since 2021. But anyway, uh, I probably yes to the Derrick Henry question. But honestly, I think it's a, it's a different factor. I mean, look, you took Ty J Spears in the third round. He's looked pretty good pretty much whenever he touches the field. I know he's dinged up right now, but I think he's fine overall. I think it more so is really just this is a franchise legend. This is the face of the franchise. We're having a down year. We're probably not going to get a great return. Like, I don't think you're talking Christian McCaffrey return or even close to it because McCaffrey had, what, three or four years left in his deal. Henry obviously is on an expiring. Um, and, and it's not that, you know, the total all-around package player like a McCaffrey, as phenomenal as he is, you know, in, in a one particular facet on early downs. So, but yeah, I think it's more of that. Just sentimental value and all those things. Hey, they, they probably sold a whole lot of Houston Oilers, Derrick Henry jerseys yesterday uh, as well. Um, yeah, you brought up, I had forgotten about this, actually, before we uh, get into other potential trades. We had an actual trade that's already been made. Leonard Williams from the New York Giants to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, what was the trade collateral for that it was a second round pick in 2024 and a 2025 fifth round pick going from seattle to the new york giants for the services of leonard williams what did you make of that trade so on the football field i do like it you know i think williams is a great kind of three five tech fit opposite draymond jones you know obviously i know his run defense grade does not look good there but he's been a you know a top run defender at that position his entire career i think his career low was a 68 before you know the first eight games here in new york and then he has been a better pass rusher has a top 25 pass rush win rate for us at 12 and a half percent this season his highest pass rush grade at a 77 right now um so i like the football fit a lot you obviously you lose a Chenna and Wosu, you got to go out and, and bring in some more pieces, Frank Clark and now him. However, we're talking about a guy that cannot be franchise tagged, that is on an expiring contract. And, and so you are, at least as of right now, giving up a second and a fifth for 10 games of Leonard Williams with no guarantee he returns. He certainly might. They probably will start talking about a new hypothetical deal, but he could leave um, and, and then the deal could look pretty bad. Yeah, and that, that's when you sort of look at it just in abstract terms, it's like the one problem anybody would have with this deal is that's quite a lot to give up for somebody like Leonard Williams, given exactly what you're saying. But the reason it costs so much in pick terms is exactly what was just on the screen there, that Field Yates tweet that the Giants ate a chunk of money to make this happen. So Seattle has essentially bought a cheaper contract, right? That's why the draft picks are so high. They've given up a second round pick as opposed to something much lower because now they only owe him $650,000 for the remainder of the season as opposed to $10 million. Like that's that's what we're talking about here. We've reached this world now in trade sophistication where teams are using draft picks to buy salary or or sell salary. Yeah, no, this is the new trend, and it's awesome because I think it's why we've had so much more movement. We had Von Miller, Roquan Smith, Robert Quinn, like a bunch of examples the last couple of years now, and it's because these contending teams obviously don't have a ton of cap space, and they probably view their draft picks as, yeah, I gave up a second, but I'm hoping it's 64th overall. Right. Uh, you know, in theory, 
So yes, that is what happened. That's why I really, really do like the move for the Giants because I view it as you're basically spending cash to move up around in the draft, right? Like, yeah. let's say the Seattle took on the full 10 mil. You probably, I don't even know if you get a third. It's a massive contract. Seattle basically couldn't afford it. They've kind of already restructured pretty much every deal on their roster. They could maybe get there, but it'd be tough. So yeah, you basically buy better draft capital and, and, that, and that way both teams feel like they won because I also think teams were always afraid of, I'm going to move a good player for an underwhelming return. It's bad optics, etc. It's great. It's awesome for the sport it's awesome for fans it's a whole lot of fun but yes that is why they got a second they didn't get a second in a vacuum it's because they paid nine and a half mil yeah like it's it, from a from the selling team's perspective it's like the perfect way of doing it right not only are you cashing in uh, a player that you have now for draft capital coming up in in a season which is clearly done for your you know from your perspective so that part it's already a good move to be doing that right chip off assets get the guy um or get the the trade uh, the, the, the draft picks rather than the player that you have right now that's not doing you any good but now they're actually able to increase the pick the, the value of the pick they're getting make it a better pick by just essentially buying it by paying more now in cap room which you have and you can sort of maximize the impact of the fire sale that you're having once the season is dead like it's it's kind of turbocharging the tank job that teams are are, are doing when they're doing that yeah, and the beauty is the alternative is you're still going to pay that full salary anyway. So the Giants can right. still tell themselves, hey, we saved, I think it's like 650000 They can still tell themselves they saved money, which they did, right, compared to just keeping him. And then, of course, you also, when you get a compensatory pick considerations and things of that nature, you want to beat out what you think you could get. I think Williams probably will net you know, maybe Seattle or, or maybe he stays there, but it probably a fringe third, maybe a third or, or at, at least a fourth comp pick, no question. So again, the Giants could say, eh, if I get as a third, we're probably going to get a 2025 third, no matter what. Shouldn't say no matter what. Obviously, injuries happen. You can cancel out comp picks, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, this way you say, all right, we got a second. We got an early, you know, hopefully top 55 pick. We feel much better about it. All right, Brad, brace yourself. I know that it's, uh, tr uh Trade deadline day, and there's going to be some big moves. There's going to be some big news. But the most important thing you are going to hear today is the new, brand new, first time debuted Manscaped read. Um, it is said up top on this, cue dramatic music, public service announcement. I don't think we have any dramatic music, but for next time. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand-new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. We're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. AI is cool, but I think this might be the biggest technological advancement the world has ever seen. Upgrade your grooming game to the ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. High tech for low places, Manscaped. Every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. Inside the package, you'll find the star of the show, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Their fifth generation trimmer features two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads. A standard one for taking a little off the top and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. 
We also have dual LED spotlights to provide contrast on multiple skin tones, three length setting combs, and oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? No more wet shaving down there. Count me in. Taking it on the go, Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering and or weird looks at the airport. This right here is on the cutting edge of cutting pubes. Upgrade your ball trimmer and your life will follow. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship. Get yours today from our folks at Manscaped. There is apparently a Manscaped box, perhaps not a Manscaped-shaped box, but a Manscaped box stuffed full of goodies on its way to the office. And frankly, I'm looking forward to diving into that and seeing what magic lies within. Um, masterful job by them. That's, that's the, uh, the PSA for today, the most important thing you're going to hear. It's not about trades. It's about Manscaped and the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Uh, okay, Brad, getting back into the NFL. Um, you want to talk about Jalen Johnson, cornerback from the Chicago Bears, and where he might end up today. Yep, so this was, uh, I'll be honest, a little bit of a surprise. He's obviously you know, made it pretty clear he's not happy with contract talk extensions going back a, a couple, um, contract extension talks going back a, a couple days now, maybe you know, over a week. But I thought they would find a way to get it done. He is obviously a top five graded corner for us this season. Has been exceptional. Had the huge splash game with the pick six, another interception. And he's 24 years old on a team that has a billion dollars in cap space. And <laughs> look, the yes, they drafted Tyreek Stevenson and your guy Terrell Smith this past class. But it, it's kind of weird to me at this stage in the rebuild to continue to let good young talent go. You know, last year, I guess you could say it made sense with Roquan Smith. But anyway... Where do I think Jalen Johnson goes or wants to go? He's from California. Uh, I think he probably wants to be a San Francisco 49er, if I had to guess. Um, I know they're in the market for corners. They've been making some phone calls on corners across the NFL. Obviously, have Traverius Ward. Not great play from Diameter Lenore the last couple of weeks, although I think he's been solid, frankly. But anyway, I think they're heavily in the mix for sure. I think Philadelphia is a team to monitor here. Buffalo. And, and lastly, Pittsburgh, I think, is probably in the mix, too. Wow. So a lot of kind of t contender teams for him. Um, what does the market look like for a guy like Jalen Johnson? Because on the one hand, you've got, as you say, 24-year-old corner playing his best football, um, has previous really high-level play as well. Like his rookie season, I think he had 13 pass breakups, something like that. Uh, on the other hand, you've got, you know, expiring contract and is, is about to want to get paid like one of the best corners in the NFL. So what does that do to the actual trade value um, given what we've just been talking about of, you know, contract equals draft capital. Yeah, I do think that. So he's on a rookie deal. So, so from that standpoint, he's cheap. But I do imagine now that he's been granted the right to talk to other teams, the main point of that is so that he can try to work out an extension as a part of the trade to make this other team more comfortable bringing him in, you know, and not potentially losing him after 10 games for a rental. I think with him, you're talking $17, $18 million a year. I, I don't think he's in that upper echelon of the 20 plus guys. I think he's above, you know, that Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean type range in the 14 and a half, 15 areas. So I think he's kind of in between those two markets. So from a value standpoint, I, because I think there, A, are a ton of suitors here, and B, yeah, there's guys like Adante Jackson, Christian Fulton, Tennessee, maybe, but I think Jalen Johnson is by far, leaps and bounds, the best available cornerback at the deadline. So maybe that drives it up. 
I think best case scenario, absolute best case scenario, the Bears get a second. I think more realistic, realistically, maybe you get a two thirds, something of that nature. But but yeah, absolutely a, a solid day two pick at the very least. Given that you mentioned a list of teams, most of whom are like pretty solid contenders, um, are there any teams that are going to be interested in him just as a rental? Like we know we're not going to get a long term deal done with him. On the other hand, we expect to be playing deep into January and we want to be playing in February, we're okay with spending a draft pick for this to be a one-season rental. Yeah, so it's a good point because we also talk a lot about, you know, the compensatory pick thing and all that. So for Chicago, a comp pick for Jalen Johnson is probably not very realistic because they have $110 million in projected cap space. They're going to spend a ton of it. For a contender like a San Fran or, or you know the, the teams I mentioned, Philadelphia, etc., they are in the market for a comp pick. If they do let this guy walk, they're probably not going to make a splash signing. I, I guess San Fran added Javon Hargrave, but but it's it's far more realistic they could. So yeah, in theory, even if you give up a two and just say, hey, or if he stays healthy, we'll get a three in the offseason. You know, we saw that a couple of years ago from Philadelphia with Golden Tate. They send a three, get a four. That was part of their thought process the entire time. Right. I think it is a good point, no question. But still, you know, there, there, there does there, there, some risk is involved there. Um, you know, no question. And that was part of the logic when, like, when the Rams brought in uh, Von Miller, right? Like, we know that we're probably letting him go, and we've factored in a comp pick into this whole process the the trade to get him versus the what we're going to get in comp pick we know it's a rental but we're good with that it certainly was one of the outcomes they were comfortable with i think they really did want to keep him around and buffalo just just dropped a massive contract offer at his feet but right. but yeah no it's always at least a even if it's not your plan a it is certainly you know a plan b or whatever and the rams knew they weren't going to spend uh, you know after that season in free agency you know they obviously you know, did not add much talent you know in free agency at all one of the other players that seems most likely to get moved before the deadline is Montez Sweat. So we've been talking a little bit already uh, a couple of times in the show, this dynamic that Washington has put themselves in, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, both young, both playing well, both up for a contract renewal. You can only really keep one of them, and that means your be- like what Washington's best thing to do in terms of negotiation for the one you're keeping is get rid of the other one now. So is that actually going to happen, and where is he going to end up if it does? I, I do. I think that is going to be the blockbuster that we get today. I think it is between the Atlanta Falcons and the Chicago Bears at this juncture. Maybe a team like San Francisco could be in the mix as well. But I think those two teams are vying pretty hard for his services right now. Also, maybe uh, exploring the idea of an extension as part of the trade as well. But, but yeah, I think it's one of those two teams. Obviously, Chicago would be the biggest upgrade they could possibly make uh, yeah. across their entire roster, frankly. Um, you know, and, and Atlanta as well. They're, they're actually just as bad in pressure rate from edge rushers specifically as the Chicago Bears are. You know, both teams are top five, or, sorry, bottom five uh, in the NFL. If you just filter to the edge rushers and their pass rush win rate, they're both, you know, very, very low. So, I think it's one of those two teams that gets it done. There's a ton of connections here. So Kyle Smith was a former personnel guy in Washington. When they drafted Montez Sweat, he is now with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Mississippi State, uh, Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator in Chicago, was at Mississippi State with Montez Sweat. So there's familiarity there with both teams. It makes a total football sense for both teams. They also have, of course, ton of resources, draft picks, cheap rookie contract players. I think he will be a member of one of those teams in the next four and a half hours. Yeah, it was interesting. I was just pulling up the pressure rates for both teams. They were one and two for the bottom pressure rate last yeah. season. The, the Bears were by far and away the least uh, 
the least capable team in the league at getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. And Atlanta was number two, albeit much closer to the rest of the pack than the Bears were. Uh, The Chicago Bears are second worst this season. They've gone up one spot. They're marginally ahead of Carolina after the first uh, bunch of weeks of the season. Atlanta, as you said, they've actually crawled, you know, to mid-table respectability, but it's all basically because of David Onyemata on the inside. And they just lost Grady Jarrett, which isn't going to help. In terms of edge rush, they still don't really have pressure coming from anywhere. Bud Dupree, they're signing to, to try and make that happen. Obviously, you know, our history on Bud Dupree commentary, that hasn't worked. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, Arnold Ebicati, they're not doing anything. It's Calais Campbell, it's David Onyemata, it's Grady Jarrett on the inside, and now one of those three is down. So they absolutely still need an edge rusher, and the Bears just need anybody on the defensive line still. Yeah, 100%. And I know it sounds weird for, like, Atlanta makes sense. They're probably heavily in the NFC South mix, or at least a wild card potentially. You probably still quibble with, you know, you're giving up a day two pick that you could maybe use to trade up for a quarterback, but whatever. With Chicago, I know it seems bizarre. And they did the same thing last year, and obviously it was a disaster where, you know, you move a day two uh, to get Claypool, get, gain a day two for Roquan Smith. I think this one makes a little bit more sense just because, as I mentioned, we got to see better play from these guys, but Terrell Smith and Tyreek Stevenson, I mean, Smith's been pretty good when he plays. You just drafted two corners. You also drafted Kyler Gordon, and you have nothing at edge rusher. And sure, they could say, oh, we get one of the guys in free agency. I'm not sure a whole lot of free agents are lining up to sound the Chicago Bears right now. So I think if you want to get a, you know, look, I think he's a high-end number two as opposed to a true number one. But again, he's the best edge rusher the Bears have on the roster by 10 miles if if they pull this off. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where whatever you think, wherever you think he lands in the spectrum, and that's more relevant to sort of the contract that he's going to get signed to, like he's clearly a good starting caliber defensive lineman of which I don't know that Chicago has any right now. So from that point of view, it's absolutely a massive upgrade for them. And it's just a case of if you're happy enough with the kind of contract that you're going to need to pay him. But at some point you need to get some players onto that defensive line. Like we've been calling for this since last free agency where instead they went and spent the money on linebackers and drafted some guys to, to take that spot. But they haven't made the impact yet they may never make the impact at some point if you want to make any kind of moves on defense you're going to need defensive linemen that can make something happen on their own for sure for sure and and again yeah he's not quite the pass rush win rate uh, you know of of a chase young in washington but also i mean remarkably durable one of the best run defending edges i think in the entire nfl um and i'm fairly confident our, our grades back that up um, and, and so I think for Chicago, like it's a building block piece. And also, I don't expect a first-round pick to get moved here. I guess maybe if the two teams bid themselves up a ton, but there's no way Chicago would move probably two top ten picks. Um, and I don't think Atlanta does either. So I think you're giving up a second and, and something else potentially. Um, interesting thought if Washington, who could certainly use a corner, uh, maybe is open to the idea of a swap there. But I, I don't know if that's any, you know, that was my, might be a dumb suggestion. But, yeah. I get the arguments against it. I think if you're Chicago, you're saying uh, there, there's a marquee 25-year-old who, ha- who has an extremely high floor. Like, it, it, I think it makes sense. And elite high-end athleticism as well. I mean, that's one of the things that sometimes these guys don't have in their favor. You know, when you're sort of looking at these guys that are good, not necessarily great. And one of the things that might be holding them back is, look, they have a level athletically, right? They're not 
sort of Chase Young or Miles Garrett in terms of insane bursts and athleticism and size. Like Montez Sweat is a freak athlete on top of all that as well. So potentially there is more to come from him. Like a team could talk themselves into the idea that there is still untapped potential in Montez Sweat even this deep into his career. Those are a perfect fit for this defense. Uh, right. I mean, like, you know, they, they probably thought about other guys like a Brian Burns or whatever, who, who I don't think is a particularly great fit for this particular defensive system. Granted, you know, maybe it's not the same system next year, but, you know, I think Montez Sweat can can have his hand in the dirt, could be an outside linebacker that stands up more often. But I think, like, it, it, what Matt Eberflus wants in a defensive end is Montez Sweat. Right. Um, okay, Brad, I'm going to turn the, uh, the floor over to you. We've got a few minutes left. Anybody else you want to cover before we get out of here? There's probably some smaller moves. Like, I think Buffalo is trying to work, move off of Kyrie Elam, which is, you know, very quick turnaround for their first-round pick from last year. Uh, but I think they are open to the idea. You know, unfortunately, though, I think a lot of the – not unfortunately, but a, a lot of the teams that probably were going to be sellers won a bunch of games recently. Maybe a small move from Minnesota. I'd keep an eye on guard tackle Ezra Cleveland. You know, now that Dalton Risner is playing great football in that lineup, and obviously, you know, Minnesota has difficult decisions to make. So a um, couple smaller names there. I'm sure we'll get more – I personally can't can't speak to anything else, but hopefully we get some madness. What kind of um, what kind of market do you think a guy like Kyrie Elam, Elam would have? Because they like immediately decided that that guy is just not for them, right? Like he he got, he lost out to a sixth round draft pick in his own draft class before the season had started, right? So he we. We, we talked a lot about Tyreek Stevenson versus Terrell Smith, two guys in the same draft class, and I liked Smith better than Stevenson, and, and I was sort of saying, look, every year there's, there's one of those guys, right, where somebody drafted lower down jumps the dude drafted above them and ends up being the better player or having the more significant role in the defense. Smith was my pick for that happening. They haven't gone that way, maybe judging by the play they should have, but they didn't. The point being, it takes quite a lot for you to say, no, the sixth-round pick is actually the guy that needs the playing time more than the first round pick that we just made. And yet they did that almost immediately. And that secondary has been decimated by injuries. They they have reason to play Kyrie Elam all the time, and they do it as a last resort. And even when they do it, he plays like a different defense to everybody else. They go like, hey, Kyrie, you go play man coverage, press man. Don't worry about anything else. The rest of the defense will be doing something different don't worry about it. You just lock onto your guy. You take care of that. Like, does that, that – that can't, like, go unnoticed by the rest of the league. They must be looking at that and going, I mean, we like this guy at draft time, but that's pretty rough. It's interesting, right? So a couple, a couple thoughts there. I mean, respect to a phenomenal NFL player, but, like, when Josh Norman at this stage is replacing you on the active – you know, for an active game, like, that's about as bad of a sign as you could possibly have – the man coverage thing is interesting because it, it's comical. Like you said, they're, they're a heavy cover three and, and zone team. And so maybe another team that does play a lot of man, I mentioned Pittsburgh, you know, maybe they are interested in, hey, we can we can use him differently and get him in a role that fits him. He's young, whatever. We also had, this is basically CJ Henderson again. And, and Carolina, I want right. to say, give up a third and a sixth, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure if they even get that, although... You know, I, I think it was after one season was uh, C.J. Henderson. I guess we're basically a year and a half into Kyer Elam, but it's not going to be a lot. Uh, that That is for sure. But I, I could see a team that plays a lot of man just saying, hey, look, let's just buy low, see what they see what we have in him, and he'll be a better fit for us. But like you said, I mean, it's it's gone. Like, I think Henderson even played for Jacksonville. He just wasn't playing well. Yeah. Like, Elam's not even playing amidst a bunch of injuries. Yeah, and it, I, 
Okay, he hasn't been good when he's been playing, but he hasn't looked, like, catastrophic either. I mean, that's the thing that's always been kind of interesting about it. Like, it, it's an incredibly bad sign that basically from day one they've been like, uh-oh, we might have made a mistake here. Let's do anything we can to keep him off the field. But when he has played, like, it hasn't been atrocious, particularly when they have, you know, given him this sort of more uh, friendly role towards his skill set. There have been players where they've been on the field and immediately you've been like, oh, this guy just stinks. Like, this is not going to work. You've made a mistake. He isn't in that category, and yet they're kind of treating him as if he is. It's pretty weird. No, you're right. Like, he's not completely unviable. And, you know, I don't want to speculate if it's non-football things or whatever. We've not heard anything in that regard. But, yeah, it, it's certainly strange. But like, that, all the more reason, maybe they can get, a, you know, a third-round pick and just convince one of those teams that plays a lot more man coverage than they do. Yeah, it, it's just not a fit. We love him. It's just not a fit. Uh, and try to sell on that route. <laughs> Are there any teams that, like, would make sense in terms of being buyers just – just because the opportunity shows up? Like, we tend to think of these teams, if you're buyers at this point, it's because you're good or you expect to win. But, like, I just get – I got triggered to the idea by what you just said, right? Like, the the Vikings right now with Brian Flores, totally new scheme, man-heavy, completely the opposite of what they've been running. They don't really have the personnel for it, right? And, you, you like, they're trotting out a Caleb Evans and, like, these guys who are getting torched on a regular basis. I think they've got a guy in Makai Blackman that could step in and do a better job. But, like, would a team like Minnesota, go, even though they think, all right, our season may have just gone up in smoke because Kirk Cousins got hurt, but, like, if somebody is shopping Kyrie Elam for, like, a fourth-round pick, isn't that worth a swing for them? Because he is a natural fit in Brian Flores' type of defense. And if he doesn't work out, oh, well, it just costs us a fourth-round pick. I do think those buy-low moves like that make a ton of sense. I mean, you've got two more years of a rookie contract. If he does have a great third season with you, hypothetically a fifth-year option. So it's a cheap guy. Also, these first-round deals and all these draft deals, like half the contract is a signing bonus. So you're inheriting a very small deal for a guy that maybe you convince yourselves you could turn around. I agree. I think even, like you said, not obvious sellers, if it's a cheap player – a young player, it probably still does make sense just to see what you can get out of him, see if he's a fit, and, and you're buying so, so low, which also is why I think, you know, the Montez Sweat thing, you're buying low, because Washington yeah. has no leverage, everybody knows it, um, and, and that's why I think this is, this is going to happen. The last thing I think we should probably touch on before we wrap up, uh, since we just hit the Vikings, is are they going to do anything before the deadline post-Kirk? Um, obviously Cousins goes down, confirmed Achilles injury. The only quarterback on the roster right now is the rookie fifth round pick, Jaron Hall from BYU. Nick Mullins is on IR, going to be coming back in a couple of weeks. They've got Sean Mannion as well for what good that is. But like, are they actually looking at this and saying, can we do better than that? Or are they just going to take their medicine and struggle through with what they have? Yeah, I, I think. Sorry, the Bears just traded for Montez Sweat. That's official hey. now. So uh, that just happened. There you go. Uh, I tried to hint at it as much as I could, people. Uh, so yeah, uh, I didn't even hear the question. Uh, <laughs> what'd you say? What'd you say, Sam? Give I was asking you: Are the Vikings going to make a move for any quarterback in a post Kirk Cousins landscape? But we can also uh, talk about the Montez Sweat thing. I think it'll be a signing. I think Colt McCoy's been floated a bunch. I think Carson Wentz kind of makes sense if you want to take a true uh, two shot at, at an upside move. I don't think a trade, though. I think it will be a okay. signing. All right. All right. Now let's uh, let's pivot back around to Montez Sweat to the Bears. There we go. So it's a second-round pick. I think that's all it is uh, for okay. Montez Sweat. 
I think we'll probably hear but potentially about a contract extension coming here. If I'm the Bears, I try to pounce as quick as humanly possible after Rashawn Gary got a four-year, $96 million deal, $24 million per. Right. I try to anchor to that with everything in my being. I think that is well below Rashawn Gary's value. Um, so I think it's great timing, and you can use that uh, as an anchor. Um, but yeah, just for a second-round pick by itself, and if you get – even if all you get is a third for Jalen Johnson – I think this kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is one of the rare trades that, like, everybody wins, right? This For a second-round pick to get a guy like that, that's perfect, right? He We just talked about he's not an elite, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, but he's a good starting caliber pass rusher on a defensive line that doesn't have any. So to flip a, a second-round pick, rather, for that, I think is perfectly fair value. For Washington to get a second-round pick for the position they had put themselves in with two guys represented by the same person at the same position, essentially like boxing them out from being able to get an extension done with any of them, that's great for them. And then if Montez Sweat, even if he ends up signing an extension that looks a lot like the Rashawn Gary deal, which is incredibly team-friendly and sort of below market value, because there is a gap between him and guys like Rashawn Gary, it's a good deal for him. Like, this is win-win-win. Yeah, I agree. It's a win-win-win. It is. Washington still has to view this as a win. You've made your decision. You're now working on with Chase Young. You still could have three extremely highly paid defensive linemen, and there was no guarantee you were getting anything as a comp pick, but at best you're getting a 2025 third. Now you get Chicago's 2024 second, which is still probably a top 40 draft pick. Right. Um, could be 32. We saw it was 32 last year. So um, I, this is a win for every party. And, hey, good for Josh Harris. Uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney, but – I'll just good for Josh Harris and this and this new ownership to actually understand how to get value out of assets. I mean, you had two tags for Brand Sheriff, walks for nothing. Like every decision they made from a personnel standpoint was devoid of logic. This is if I'm a Commanders fan, I'm more encouraged by this than anything Josh Harris has done so far. I will say that's an important point to make. This pick could end up being number 32 overall, and even if it is again, yeah. this is a significantly better way to spend that pick than Chase Claypool. That's, I think, a definitive statement we can make. This is a much better way of spending even a pick in the low 30s than spending it on Chase Claypool is. This will make a much bigger difference, and you're getting a much better player. So from that perspective, Chicago, good work. Don't get gun-shy by the one mistake you made. Yeah, no, you're right. It's also true, right? Keep taking swings, and, and look, they still have two firsts this year. Probably both can be top ten. They have Carolina's second next year as well. So you know, you still have a ton of, of draft capital. They have Philly's fourth this year from the from the Robert Quinn trade. That they still got some ammo. Um, and, and you just you get this edge rusher class too. There are some fun names, but like I think Latu Latu is the best talent, and he was medically retired a year, two years ago. So right. now you you get a quarterback and a wide receiver or a tackle with two top ten picks. You have a foundational piece on the defensive line. It's something. I mean, it's. I mean that that's a great point. Like, okay, you're dealing with rookies and and cheaper deals, et cetera. So it's not apples to apples. But we re went through the top guys in this draft, uh, this pass rusher class with Trev a couple of weeks ago. And you're right. I, I think Latu is the best guy. I wouldn't be sure that Latu is better than Montez Sweat. I mean, you might be getting a guy that's better than anybody from this draft class, albeit for more expense, right? Like, And you're getting him with a second-round draft pick. So I think it's a great move for Chicago. I think it's a great move for Washington to get something for the guy they're probably going to have to lose anyway. And if it gets Montez Sweat a giant big-money extension, it's a great move for him as well. Win, win, win. 
That's going to do it for the show today. Uh, stay tuned to PFF.com. Brad Spielberger has got a move tracker for all the trades that are going to happen over the course of the day. This is the first of many, hopefully, to let us cook. Tomorrow, Steve, I think, will be back in the chair. He was noncommittal about that yesterday. We will see if that happens. Send us in mailbag questions, NFL podcast at PFF.com. Uh, you can hit us up on the Discord as well if you go to the description of the show. Find the Discord there and uh, give us some topics. Give us some uh, conversation points for tomorrow. We'll, of course, react to everything else that happens for the rest of the day as well. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Bradley, for showing up. Thank you, Sam, for taking this show again. And now we're all out of here. We're done. Let's wrap it up. 